But I really want to bring you back to the cross. I want to take you to that time as we prepare for the Passover, as we prepare for Easter, as we look to April the 16th. We want to think together about what it really means. You know, our society don't really care what it means, but we want to think again what it means and what, would it, what it means to us. And, and as we prepare for that, I, I, I've called my message this morning um, the Garden of Pain. The Garden of Pain. Very strange title because normally um, gardens are a place of beauty. Uh, gardens are a place of relaxation. Some of us who have gardens spend a lot of time in our gardens in order to create an atmosphere of relaxation and of beauty. We don't normally associate gardens with pain. So I've entitled this message, The Garden of Pain. And, and the first thing I want to say um, about um, this passage that we've read, I want to speak about following. Because we read these words, it's opening words here um, in our reading. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. See, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives, Olives was a garden. It was also known as the Garden of Gethsemane. A beautiful garden of trees and, 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 of, and, of, and, of, and of, um, of beauty. And that is where Jesus went. He often went into that olive garden. But the interesting thing about this verse is he goes into that garden and the Bible says that his disciples followed him. These men were following Jesus. They did not know where he was leading them. They were following him into the garden, but they did not know that when he was going into that garden, he was going to do some hard work in that garden. They didn't know that when they were following him. When he went, when he went into that garden, they did not know that he was going to do some wrestling in that garden in prayer. They didn't know that when they were following him. When he went into that garden, they did not know that he was going to enter into a battleground. He was going to struggle. He was going to pray. They did not know that at the time, but they followed him into that garden. That is the role, is it not, of a disciple? They were disciples. And they ought to, they should be, following Jesus Christ. Now it may be a simple observation, but why do I mention that this morning? Because Jesus turned around and he, one of the last words he said before he got taken up into glory, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Go and make disciples. Now, this is very important because, you know, people get born again. And it's important to be born again. People say a sinner's prayer. And it's vital 
that you confess your sin to God and ask him to come into your life and to transform you and change you. It's important to pray that sinner's prayer. It's important to be born again. Absolutely important. But you mustn't stay there. You must not. You cannot stay just in in that position. Because it's not about becoming a Christian. It's about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the problem in our day. Sadly, in our day, we church seems to be happy. Churches today seem to be happy with people making decisions for Christ. You used to know a guy who wrote a book. Some of you know the book called Taming the Tiger. Guy called Tony Anthony. The whole book was a pack of lies. And his testimony wasn't true. But I remember he came and, and he was so concerned about how many people put their hands up after the meeting. And he used to write down on the internet and on these sites when he goes around, you know, 300 people raise their hands. 50 people in this church indicated they want to follow Jesus. And the church seemed to be concerned about raising hands and people saying a prayer. But the Bible doesn't speak about raising hands. The Bible clearly speaks about men and women being disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you might call yourself, but anyone who raises their hand only. I don't know what you may call yourself. I will call a person like that maybe a Sunday church attender. I may call them a a church goer. You know, England is full of church goers. England is full of Sunday morning attenders. It is not my business to call anyone like that a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so God turns around, Christ turns around, and, and he says to the disciples back then, he says, listen, when you go out preaching, don't look for decisions. I'm not interested in people saying a prayer. I'm not interested in people saying that they want to follow Christ. No, no, no. It's about men and women becoming disciplined disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it may be a simple observation, but Jesus goes into a garden. He's going in to do some praying. He's going in there to do some fighting. He's going in to do some wrestling and some struggling and some weeping and crying. And the disciples, they followed him into that place. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this. Then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, says Jesus Christ, must take up his cross. Before I go on about denying yourself, look at Jesus in the garden. He's not telling you to do something that he's not prepared to do himself. Look at him in the garden. What does he say? Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but not my will. I'm going to deny myself right here. 
but your will be done. He's going to deny himself. And Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, then you need to be able to deny yourself as well. You know, denying yourself is not a bad thing. Somebody think to myself, we preach about denying himself. You know, he's, he's swearing at me in the pulpit. It's not a bad thing to deny yourself. It's a bad thing to pamper yourself. It's a bad thing to give yourself everything your heart desires. It's a bad thing to do that. Not a bad thing to deny yourself. Now, we all know that. Who gives a child everything the child wants? Tell a child, what do you want for breakfast? It'll be McDonald's. Tell a child, what do you want for lunch? It will be McDonald's. Tell a child, what do you want for dinner? You know it's going to be McDonald's. Put a PlayStation in front of a child on a television, they will never move for three weeks. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Give a child what they want and they will ruin themselves. They will destroy themselves. And the same thing applies to you spiritually. Give you what you want. Do not deny yourself. Take anything you want. King Solomon said the same thing. King Solomon said, I did not deny myself anything. And at the end of his life, he was ruined. A wise man like Solomon, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he ruined himself. Why? Because he did not deny himself anything. Jesus says, listen to me. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny certain things. Certain things are bad for you. Certain things will not help you. Certain things will get you into trouble. You need to be able to turn around and say, listen, Lord, this is not your will for me. I'm going to put it down. You need to be able to say that, says the Lord. Why? Because they will ruin you. Jesus denied himself. Someone said, why should I deny myself? You know, I'm living in 21st century. Why should I deny myself? I've got an iPad. I've got a, a, you know, computers at home. You know, access to anything I want. Why should I deny myself? I've got enough money to, to get what I need. Why should I deny myself? I'll tell you why you should deny yourself. You should deny yourself because Christ denied himself for you. Not my will, oh God. Oh God, I don't want to go to the cross. But it's not my will. There's men and women sitting in Loughton Church this morning that I love, that you love, and that you want them in your kingdom. And so therefore, I'm going to deny myself, says the Lord, because I want them in my kingdom as well. That's why, that's one of the reasons why we should be happy to put down some of the things that are against God's will. All of the things that is against God's will. But only the scripture says, if a man should... He should um, deny himself. But Jesus also talks about taking up your cross. Now before I go there, we realize that Jesus himself in the garden, he was prepared to take up his cross. The physical body of Christ was going to be nailed. He was going to die on that cross. You know, we often speak negatively of the cross. We think of it as pain and Suffering. But the Bible often speaks about it in the positive. The Bible often speaks about the cross as glorious, wonderful, fantastic. 
So when you say take up your cross, we think, oh no, do I really have to take up that cross? But actually, the Bible speaks of the cross as something wonderful and beautiful and glorious. That's the cross. And Jesus said, take it up. Why is it so beautiful and glorious? Well, look what Paul says in Romans. He says these things. Now, if we died with Christ, in other words, by taking up the cross, we are identifying ourselves with the death of Jesus. If we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is saying, take up your cross, and when Christ died on that cross, you too should die to your sinful nature. Why? Because I want to live with Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be resurrected with Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to stand face to face with Christ. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to do that by taking up my cross and identifying myself with the death of Jesus. So Jesus turns around and he says to his disciples, listen men, come into the garden with me and follow me. And as you follow me, as you are my disciples, you're going to do two things. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. I'm not looking for decisions. I'm not looking for people to say, oh yes, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll say the prayer. No, no, no. I'm not looking for people who will become Christians today and change their minds tomorrow. No, I'm looking for men and women who will be my disciples and will follow me. Even in the garden of pain. Come into the garden. Come into that place of weeping. Come into that place of sweat. Come into that place of praying. Even there, they will be my disciples. They will follow me into the garden. That's what I'm looking for. Most people only want to follow Jesus into the beach. Sitting around relaxing on lounges. But Jesus said, come with me and follow me even into a garden of pain. And so Jesus leads the way. The first thing I want to say is following. And I want to ask you this morning, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That will be my, my question to you this morning. I will plead with you this morning. If you are not, then be sure this morning to be a follower. Not a Sunday morning Christian. No, that's not good enough. That won't get you to glory. No, but be a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you a follower? That's the question I would like to put to you this morning. Following Christ. Let's move on. To the second thing I want to speak about this morning. And that's praying. Jesus now tells the disciples something. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He tells them to pray. He doesn't only tell them to pray, but he leads by example. So he goes out. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. So he tells them to pray, and then he shows them by his example. And he goes about a stone's throw away, and there he prays as well. And he reasoned why he said, pray that you do not fall into temptation. He's saying to them, listen, pray now. Because 
the hour of temptation is going to come very, very quickly. I've already told you, Peter, that you're going to deny me. Not only that, but he said to them in another place in Matthew, he says this, then Jesus told them, this very night you will all, not just you, Peter, but every single one of you, who call yourselves my friends, every single one of you who call yourself my disciples, every single one of you who've been following me for three years, he says to them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Therefore, he says, pray, that you do not fall into temptation. I'm going into prayer. Why? Because I'm going to be tempted to turn back. I'm going into prayer. Why? Because I'm going to be tempted to go another way. So I'm going to pray. Then I want to tell you boys. Listen. You better start praying. Because your hour of temptation is coming too. So pray. 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 He says to them. That you do not fall into temptation. That's the cry of Christ. Now, this business of praying, if you want to remain strong in the hour of temptation, then you need to know something about prayer. Isn't that true? If you need to know something about praying, you can't be like these men. We see them here. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from exhaustion. They were completely, sorry, from sorrow. They were completely and totally tired. They couldn't pray. And when temptation came, when the shepherd was struck, they all scattered. Where do we find these mighty 12 disciples? I tell you where we find them. We find them behind closed doors. We find them hiding away from the Jews. We find them not willing to show their faces in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were defeated. That's why they didn't do what Jesus told them to do. They didn't pray. They didn't seek God. And so instead, they were routed by the enemy and found themselves hiding, denying Christ, refusing to take up their crosses, running from the hills. My dear friends, can I say this to you as a church? Prayer is not an optional extra. It's not. Prayer is not a take it or leave it kind of thing. It's not. The greatest need in the church today has to be prayer. Has to be. Nothing else. The greatest need is prayer. And I fear that real prayer, real prayer may never be recovered in this generation. I fear that for true. That real prayer may never ever be recovered in this generation. I remember a story of a man called Jonathan Edwards going back about two, three hundred years ago on a very snowy day he gets on his horse and he rides into the country. And he gets so 
convicted, so heavy, he needs to pray. He gets off of his horse and he kneels down in the snow to pray. And as he prayed and prayed and prayed, the biography person said as he prayed, the snow around him melted. There was a circle around him. Why? Because the fervency of his prayers the sweat, even in a cold, frosty morning with snow around him, he prayed so fervently that the snow melted around him. In fact, the Bible says that the, prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's the praying. You say to myself, you say to me, well, I can't pray like that. I can't pray and get so fervent. Well, I look at Hannah in the Old Testament and I see Hannah there. She's not doing the same thing as Elijah, but she's praying and her lips are moving, but there's more words coming out and she's lost. She's not concerned if Eli sees her or if other men sees her. No, she's lost in prayer. That's Hannah crying out to God. Listen to a man this morning, the other day, Dr. Martin Lowe-Jones, and he says that we have lost the O in prayer. We have lost the O. Oh, Lord, will you not come down again? Oh, Lord, will you not forgive me and cleanse me? Oh, Lord, will you not save men and women from their sins? Oh, Lord, we have lost the O from our praying. And now all we want is a good feeling. But we don't want the agony of praying. And I want to tell you this morning that if our society is going to change, if our church is going to change, if our community is going to change, we need to hear men and women with the O's again in their prayers. Oh God, will you not show your strength again? Oh God, will you not be merciful again? Oh God, be merciful on me, a sinner. That's what we need to hear again in the church. The O's of prayer. Well, prayer is indeed vitally important. And if we do not pray, we will end up like the disciples. Ransacked. Defeated. I believe the church is asleep today. I'm so glad I'm shouting this morning. I'm making sure none of you are going to sleep. Can't sleep that preach. I'm going to another church. It's much more quieter. Get my head down for 45 minutes. But come to Goldings. This guy is so loud. I believe the church is asleep this morning. We don't want to be woken up. But somebody needs to ring a bell, man. Somebody needs to shout. There needs to be a voice somehow to wake Christians up and say, cry out. Because the disciples slept. And while they slept, they were defeated. Jesus said, watch and pray. Wake up. You need to wake with me and pray with me. Because the hour of temptation is coming. Let's move on. Because not only do I want to talk about following and, and, and praying, but I, I want to end with this, this business about saving. Now we turn to the master himself. Let's move away from the disciples for a moment. Let's turn ourselves to the master. 
He leads by example. And this verse says he, I'm going to Mark's gospel, moving away from Luke, move to Mark. And he says, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You know, Jesus here, Luke doesn't give us the full picture. Mark gives us a better picture. Jesus turns around and he says, as he goes into this garden, he's deeply distressed. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you this morning, the pain did not begin at the cross. The pain did not begin with the whipping and the spitting and the beard pulling and the crown of thorns. The pain did not begin there. But where do we see the pain beginning? We see it in the garden. Jesus crying out, I am deeply distressed for my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Pain there in the garden. Luke says he, Luke in his gospel said Jesus knelt down. But in Mark, Peter sees Jesus. And he looks, he doesn't see Jesus kneeling down. No, the Bible says he, he goes away and, and, and he says there that he falls to the ground. Look at it here. Stay here and keep watch going a little further. He fell to the ground. It wasn't just kneeling. Oh no, the sorrow, the distress, the pain, the anguish, that as he goes a stone away, he cannot walk any longer and he falls to the ground in prayer. Words fail me. Words fail me to describe the great sorrow, the great pain, the great grief that Jesus is feeling at that moment. Words fail. No human can truly grasp the deep, overwhelming sorrow that was on Jesus' heart that day. And not only did he fall down, he speaks to God. Again, Luke doesn't take this out very much, but Mark says it. When he prays, what did he say? Abba, Father. I don't know if Jesus was looking back in the Old Testament, but if he did, he would look back and he would see another son of promise. Because though Jesus was a son of promise, but it's another son of promise, that was Isaac. Isaac was a promised son. And as Isaac was going up this mountain, as Isaac was going to be laid on the altar, Isaac cries out, we find it in Genesis, and Isaac spoke up and says to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
I don't know if Jesus thought about that, but I know that Isaac was pointing to someone else who had a father. And that one who had a father speaks to him and calls him Abba. That word is a very intimate word, you know. Not just father, but my daddy. The very one that I've been bound to for all eternity. The very one who knows me and I know him. The very one who did the exact representation of myself and I of him. The very one, Abba, my daddy, my father. He cries out. I don't know if Jesus was thinking about him, but I know that Isaac was pointing to Christ. And as he points to Christ, and he says, Father, this relationship, let this cup pass me by. This relationship is going to be broken. The question is, why? Why was this relationship going to be broken? Well, Paul gives us the answer to why. And in Romans, he says in chapter 8, he says this, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Can I just tell you that a sin offering to fully understand this, what a sin offering is, we need to go back to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, when they had a sin offering, they used to, it says it here in Leviticus 4, he that is the man who has sinned is to present the bull at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand, sorry, this is the priest. The priest is to take and present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. And what the Old Testament is saying here is that the priest is to take the lamb, take the goat, take the bull, whatever it was, take it to the tent of meeting, put his hand upon the bull or the animal, and before the Lord to slaughter it right there. Why was Jesus in so much anguish? Why do we have to read words like these? An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And it goes on that even though the angel strengthened him, he being in more anguish, prayed all the more. Why? Why was Jesus praying so hard? Why was his sweat like blood pouring from, the, from his head? Why? Was he praying so earnestly? Why was he sweating so much? Have you ever asked yourself these questions? Have you ever wondered why the Son of God was in so much anguish, so much pain, so much grief in his praying, so much fear? Why? I will tell you why. Because God's hand was going to be the hand that was going to slaughter Jesus. That's why. Forget men. Forget the cross. Forget the nails. 
Forget the crown of thorns. Oh, they're horrible. I can understand that, but forget them. These things are child's play. They were only a scratch on the surface. I tell you what the real pain was going to be. The real pain was going to be God's hand upon his own son. That was going to be the pain. And so Isaiah cries out in his psalm, yet we consider him punished by who? By God. Stricken by who? By God. That is why Jesus himself cries out in pain. He was going to be separated and be used as a sin offering. And God was going to put his hand upon his son. And God himself was going to inflict punishment on him. Do you know, Jesus turns around and says to the Lord, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. I preached this before, but I'm going to say it again very briefly. Let this cup pass me by. What was in that cup? What was in the cup that Jesus saw? That he said, Lord, if it is possible, I don't want to drink it. What was in that cup? That's the question. Isaiah again tells us what was in the cup. He turns around and he says this. The cup of his wrath. That was in the cup. God's wrath. God's anger. God's wrath and anger against sin was in that cup. Let's make it a little bit personal, shall we? God's anger and God's wrath towards your sin was in that cup. God's anger, God's wrath against your iniquity, your sin, your transgression, your evil, your wickedness, everything that you know to be evil and wrong in your life, God's anger towards your sin was in that cup. And Jesus said, Lord, if it's possible, but not my will, your will be done. And Jesus took that cup, the Bible says, and he drank it. Every sin that was committed in Golding's church, every wicked thought, every ungodly practice, every iniquity, every filth, He drank it on the cross. And there, God's wrath came upon him. This is the gospel. This is the only gospel. There's no other gospel. This, if anyone comes to you and try to tell you of another gospel, there's no other gospel but this. That Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross for sinful men and women and took the full weight of God's judgment upon himself. In fact, the Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. 
Paul turns around and says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. There is no other gospel but this one. And as I close, Jesus did all this. He denied himself. He took up his cross. Question is, how did he stay connected? How did he stay connected to God that he was able to do what he did? How did he stay connected in order to go that far for us? How? Well, he stayed connected because we know throughout his whole life he lived a life of prayer. But he tells us there's more. Because when you're praying, he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's it. How much more? Jesus himself needed prayer, needed to be connected with God, needed to have the Spirit filling without measure upon him. Why? So he can go to the cross. How much more do you and I need to know the filling of the Spirit of God. My dear friends, it is not something you can put to one side and say, well, I can do without the Spirit. No, you need Him. You need to get to know Him. He needs to fill you every morning, every afternoon, every day. He needs to be a part of your life. The Holy Spirit. And the wonderful thing is, God is willing to give him to you. All you need to do is ask. Lord, I don't want to be like the disciples. I don't want to be asleep while the world perish. I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to deny you. Lord, I want to be able to pray. So fill me with your spirit, oh God. Is that all again? Fill me with your spirit, oh God. Oh God, I'm so dry. Oh God, I'm so barren. Oh God, I'm such a backslider. Oh God, have mercy on me. There's the O again. We need the O's to come back in our praying. When they do, the spirit of God Fill, strengthen, leading, guiding, empowering, strengthening. So the Christian church will no longer be asleep, will no longer be hiding, but will be a light in a very, very dark place. Will you owe again in your prayers? In Jesus' name.